I noticed something recently. I witnessed something so touching and inspiring I just had to share. It was a cold and windy night. The strong Montana wind blew the, the snow so hard it was making my skin feel like it was being sandblasted. As I was walking down the sidewalk, I had to button my jacket up all the way and tuck my scarf in as tight as I could in order to keep the snow out. And as I got to the corner, I noticed this rough-looking man sitting in the middle of a park bench. He was hugging himself in order to keep himself warm. He was wearing nothing but this old, worn business suit with a dirty t-shirt underneath. No overcoat or any proper winter gear for that matter. And as I'm sitting here trying to imagine just what sort of life this man is living, he reaches beside him and grabs this piece of newspaper, folds it lengthwise, and tucks it in in order to attempt to keep himself warm. I, I assumed that bench was going to be his bed for the night. I thought about helping him. I, I did. I wanted to. But I couldn't afford to put him in a hotel for the night. I also thought about taking him down to the store to maybe get him some warmer clothes, like gloves, a scarf, a hat, a jacket. But he needed everything. And I couldn't afford all that either. And so as I'm walking past this man, regretting that there's nothing I can do to help him, this little girl leaves the side of her mother to go and stand next to the shivering man. And what she does is she takes off this bright red wool scarf and hangs it over the neck of the man. And before she leaves, she tells him, Jesus loves you, and I know he'll take care of you. In response, the man just smiles and tells her, he just did. That little girl shamed me. All that time, I was becoming more and more selfish, more concerned with my own wants and needs. She reminded me that we weren't put here to care and love for just ourselves. What would be the significance in that? God put us here in order to love one another with Christ's love. To grow together as one in the body of Christ. I'm tired of just observing the movement of God's love. I want to be a part of it. And you know what? That's exactly what I'm going to do, starting now. Thanks, Hunter. It's a good word, huh? Very good word. Who would you be willing to die for? Ever asked yourself that question? Who exactly in your world would you be willing to die for? Your mom, maybe your dad, perhaps your spouse, your kids, maybe a really, really good friend. Would you be willing to die for the stranger three rows up and across the aisle from you? Who would you be willing to die for? Now, in all candor, my list of people who I would die for is really short. My inclination is that that's the case for more than just a handful of us here today, because what's true is that very few people are willing to die for someone else. And those who we would be willing to die for, they'd have to like, be really, really worth 
the sacrifice of our lives, wouldn't they? They'd have to measure up in some certain ways to some certain standards, right? During the Vietnam War, a young graduate of West Point was sent to Vietnam to lead a group of new recruits, brand new recruits into battle. He did his job exceedingly well, nobly attempting every single day to keep his men from ambush and death. However, one night he and his men were overtaken by an entire battalion of Viet Cong and he was able to get all but one of his men to safety. The one soldier who had been left behind was severely wounded and from their safe haven, the young lieutenant and the rest of his men could hear their wounded companion moaning and crying for help. Now they all knew that venturing out into the vicious crossfire would mean almost certain death and the groanings of the wounded soldier continued all through the night. Eventually the endurance of that young lieutenant came to an end. He crawled up out of his place of safety toward the cries of that dying man. He got to him safely, was able to haul him all the way back, but just as he pushed the wounded man to the safety of the protective cover, he himself caught a bullet in the back and was killed instantly. Some months later, that rescued man was well enough to return to the United States, and when the parents of the dead hero heard that he was in their vicinity, they planned to have him come to dinner. They wanted to know this man whose life was saved at such great cost to them. The night of the dinner party came, and their guest arrived drunk. He was loud and boisterous. He told off-color jokes. He showed absolutely no concern for his suffering hosts. The parents of the dead hero did their very best to make it a worthwhile evening, but their best efforts went entirely unrewarded. At the end of that torturous visit, the obscene guest left, and as her husband closed the door, the mother collapsed into a puddle of tears and cried to think that our precious son had to die for somebody like that. Now that soldier owed those parents the very best that was in him, didn't he? Frankly, it was just plain evil for him to give such little thought to everything that they had lost because of him on his account. Considering the price that had been paid for his life, his ingratitude was really beyond comprehension. And in John chapter 15, verse 13, Jesus Christ says these words. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. We just say that aloud with me. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Now what's Jesus getting at there? He's sort of putting a finger right here in the middle of our chest, isn't he? And he's saying, hey, look, love is all about you laying down your life for all the people around you every single day. Love is all about you laying down your life for all the people who are around you every single day. Love is something that you go and do regardless of how terrible the person who you're loving is or you think they are. You lay down your life for all the people around you every single day. Now, sure, there's a feeling, absolutely, that comes along with love, right? But love, more than anything else, is a commitment to do for others the things that will help them become everything that God intends for them to be. 
all throughout the scriptures, right? Jesus tells us to go and love our enemies. That's hard to do. He also tells us to go and love our neighbors, doesn't he? That's sometimes hard to do. Then another time, Jesus tells us to love each other, love your Christian brothers and sisters. That sometimes is hard to do. A little later on in the scriptures, the apostle Paul comes along and he says, husbands, you love your wives. That sometimes is hard to do. And in every one of those instances, the intent is very, very clear. Love isn't just any kind of warm, fuzzy feeling, right? Instead, love is a commitment to act on others' behalf, to act in the best interest of others, to actually lay down your life for the sake of the best interest of others. Because at its very core, love is action. And that's a really difficult concept for a lot of people to grasp. How many people do you know who grew up thinking that love was just a feeling that overtakes a person when they meet the, quote, right one? How many people have asked their mom, how will I know if I've met the right one, mom? And their mom answered, when you meet the right one, what do they say? You'll know. You'll just know. You're like, ah, I'm not sure about that, mom. Our culture is so overly romanticized about love that many, many people believe that love is just this strangely irrational emotion over which none of us have any control whatsoever. That love is just something we sort of fall into, like we sometimes fall into a ditch or something. And you stand back and you survey that whole landscape and you go, well, no wonder so many marriages fail. Because this truth that love actually takes lots and lots of energy, lots and lots of very hard work is so greatly misunderstood. Because love isn't in any way this like natural happening. It doesn't just ooze out of us. Love is something that we're called on to do, to carry out, to sacrifice on behalf of. Sacrifice for others, lay down our very lives for others. And we only have the Greek philosophers to blame for all these false conceptions about what it really means to love. It's all their fault if you want to blame anybody, the Greek philosophers. It's Greek philosophy, after all, that taught us that what we think and feel determines what it is that we go and do. But those guys are only partly right. Sure, it's true that what we think and feel determines what we do, but it's also true that what we do determines what we think, meaning that our actions often condition our thought patterns, therefore determining our feelings far more than we're willing to admit sometimes. Just as one example, I have a friend who counsels a whole lot of married couples. Quite frequently, my friend will encounter people who come into his office claiming a void of any kind of affectionate feeling for their spouse whatsoever. They say things like, whatever it was that I once felt for this person, it long ago died off and it seems like the only option for us is to just end this. Stop the madness, stop the suffering and just throw in the towel. My friend leans in across the table and says, look, if you'll very carefully do what it is that I'm about to tell you to do, I promise that within one month, the feelings of love for your spouse will return. One month. If you'll just go do everything that I'm about to tell you to do within a month, you'll find yourself very in love, whatever that means, with your spouse. And now he's got their full and undivided attention. 
doesn't he? They're like, whoa. They're leaning in, waiting for the brilliant silver bullet to cure all of their marriage woes. He says, here it is. Number one, both of you wake up every single day and make a new list of 10 things that you would do for your spouse if you were in love with them. Every day, wake up and make a brand new list, 10 things of what you would do for your spouse if you were in love with them. First thing. Second thing, every single day, go do the 10 things that are on that list that you just made. Well, it's really simple, right? Or not so simple. No secret formulas, no magic recipes, no silver bullets, just doing loving things, laying down your life for the sake of your spouse in that setting and ending up with loving feelings for your spouse. My friend gave that marriage advice to one man who took up the challenge, okay, I'll do it. And he ended up with a remarkably funny story of the consequences. He tells the story like this. He said, I usually leave the factory where I work all sweaty and dirty at the end of a hard work day. But I decided one of the things on my list was that if I really loved my wife, I would clean up at the end of the work day before I saw her again. So I showered and shaved at the factory. I put on clean, freshly pressed clothes. On the way home, I stopped at the florist, bought a beautiful bouquet of flowers for her. Now normally when I get home, I come through the back door, grab a beer from the refrigerator, go into the rec room and watch TV until she summons me for dinner. But this day, because I wanted to do what a person who loves his wife would do, I went to the front door. I rang the doorbell and I waited for my wife to answer. When she opened the door, I held out the flowers and said, for you, honey, I love you, with a big smile on my face. The man's wife took one look at the flowers, then at him, and she burst into tears. Not what he was expecting. And she started in. Honey, I've had a terrible day. Billy broke his leg on the school playground. I had to take him to the hospital. I no sooner got home from the hospital than the phone rang. It was your mother. She's coming to visit for two weeks. I tried doing laundry, but the washing machine is broken. There's water all over the basement floor, and now you have to come home drunk. <laughs> but really, if that guy actively continues to love his wife, laying down his life every single day for his wife, it's only a matter of time because it until he's gonna find himself deeply in love with her. And that principle is deeply rooted in the question of what if this, what if when Jesus said this statement, there's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends, what if he wasn't just talking about you and I actually dying? Ever thought about that? What if what Jesus was really saying is look, there's no greater love than for you, all of you who claim my name, to die daily, multiple times every single day for the people all around you. Mom, dad, spouse, kids, neighbors, friends, coworkers. What if that's what he's talking about? What if it isn't just about laying down your life one time and it all being over with? But instead, every single day, multiple times a day, dying to you, yourself, your will, your ways, your preferences, your dreams.
Now, you're absolutely right. Jesus is making reference to his sacrificial once for all death on the cross that brings us back to right relationship with God. That's entirely in view in that text. Just think about it. Jesus Christ loved you so much that he willingly went to the cross for you. He paid the ultimate sacrifice for you. He loves you that much. If you were the last person on planet Earth, the only person on planet Earth, he still would have paid the ultimate price for you. And though we may one day be faced with the choice to lay down our physical life for the sake of those people who you have on your list that you would be willing to die for, isn't it true that giving our lives just one time in death might actually be the easy way out of all of this? Oh yeah, I, I did that. I died for whoever it was. Isn't for us the greater challenge to die daily, multiple times a day for all the people in our lives? Die daily. It seems to me that that's exactly what it is that Jesus has in mind for us. And that it's through our dying daily, sometimes multiple times a day for those around us, that the deadness of many of our hearts can just be taken. That through dying daily for those around us, that the fervor of passion that many of us once carried could be rekindled. What if for you, dying daily for those around you, the prosaic actually becomes poetic in your world? That you, through dying daily for all those people around you, the mundane, day in, day out grind actually becomes something quite sublime. What if all of us, by dying daily, by doing what love does, which is to deny ourselves and serve other people, lays down our life so that others might find theirs? You know, one way I think that you can die daily for the people all around you, and this is really hard, I'm sorry to lay this out there, but this is really hard. One way we die daily for those around us is to listen to other people around us. And I mean like really listen. Not the sort of half listening that goes on between so many people these days. Just think about it. How many times has someone been talking to you at great length about something that's deeply important to them they're all animated and they're passionate and they're excited about it and they get to the end where it would be time for you to insert a response and you sort of casually look in their direction and say, uh-huh. Your mind actually wandering quite far from everything that they were saying to you. Have you ever done that? I sure have. Because you think about of all the things you could possibly do to hurt somebody else's feelings, few things hurt as much as failing to listen really listen when someone is talking to you. Maybe you're just so consumed with formulating your brilliant response to everything that they're saying to you that you don't hear a word they're really saying. You catch the, catch the gist of it enough to formulate your response and then it's all about you. What if for us dying daily means that you give the person who you're talking to, who they're talking to you, your full and undivided attention? 
What if dying daily for you looks like hanging on their every single word, involving yourself fully in what it is that they're saying to you, actively listening, passionately engaged, even if you're not exactly passionate about the things that they're talking with you about? And if you've ever done that, you know it's absolutely exhausting, isn't it? It's absolutely exhausting, which is, I think, some of what it is, some of what it looks like for us to die daily in the way that Jesus tells us there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Jesus knew that listening was powerful. Jesus knew that listening had a way of creating and fostering the healing of broken, wrecked, damaged hearts and lives. There was a time in the Gospel of Mark when Jesus had a run-in with a demon-possessed man. I'm just going to read this account to you from Mark chapter 5. So they arrived, that was Jesus and his disciple arrived on the other side of the lake in the region of the Gerizines. When Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out from a cemetery to meet him. That's quite a welcoming committee. This man lived among the burial caves. It's where he lived. He lived among dead people and could no longer be restrained, even with a chain Whenever he was put into chains and even shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrist and smashed the shackles. There's something going on there. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night he wandered among the burial caves and in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. He's plagued, isn't he? When Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him ran to meet him and bowed low before him. With a shriek, he screamed, why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already said to the spirit, come out of the man, you evil spirit. And then check this out, listen to this carefully. Then Jesus demanded, what is your name? What is your name is Jesus' first question to this man. Which means that question which begged a response was Jesus jumping off place for helping him. Jesus began to help this man first by listening to him. Jesus hadn't come to preach to the guy. He certainly had a great sermon all about demon possession. He could have rolled up his sleeves and it would have been a fantastic message, I know. But instead, Jesus said, no, 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 this isn't about me. This is about him. Jesus actually choosing in that moment to die daily by listening to this man. And if you read the whole story, it's quite a story. Jesus casts out this whole legion of demons. And you remember where they ended up? Where did the demons end up? In a herd of pigs. That's exactly right. And the pigs plunge off this cliff, and it's this big... As everybody's freaking out, and so the crowds come running from town. They're like, what just happened to all our hogs? What? They're upset. And they all come running out, and look how they find Jesus continuing with this man. Mark 5, 15. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus. And they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. He was sitting there fully clothed and perfectly sane. And Jesus just sat there with him, listening to him because I guarantee that guy had great stories. He had great stories and Jesus was just 
listening. Jesus knew and he knows the healing power of listening and we all can learn something from the one who made it his business to love people enough to lay down his life for them, not just on the cross, but in the moment by moment bits of every single day, dying daily even to himself. Another way I think we die daily laying down our lives for our friends, for those around us, is by giving up what may be your dream in order to help somebody else obtain theirs. Giving up what may be your dream in order to help someone else obtain theirs, which has at its core love and servanthood and selflessness, and it's not all about me. Giving up what may be your dream in order to help somebody else obtain theirs means that you're not always exercising your will over others by insisting that you have your own way. It means that you're vulnerable, you're not in the power position that you set yourself and your will aside for the sake of somebody else's dream. How many of your parents worked harder than they had to in order to give you the absolute greatest chance to pursue your dream. They died daily for you so that you could stand on their shoulders for your dream. And in the process of dying to their own dreams, your parents, God gave them a dream for you because it's in dying daily to our own personal dreams that we're actually infused with the dream for others. And our dream isn't lost, but see, it just gets multiplied and expanded and becomes something quite spectacular. And understand that dying daily doesn't mean dreaming great dreams just for us, but instead means dreaming great dreams for all of the other people around us. Living out tangible acts of unselfish love, it's not about me. And when we live that way, when we die daily, we discover what it means to live, what it means to truly live. Because you see, there's far more to becoming a follower of Jesus Christ than just giving intellectual assent to a set of doctrines and then striving to live a strict moral code where I do this and I don't do that and I do this and I don't do that and I don't. Because you see, being a follower of Jesus Christ means that God becomes actually a living presence inside of our lives. A presence that actually changes us. A presence that compels us to die daily to me and to live out the very ethic of Jesus Christ who said, look, there's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. There just isn't. Now scroll back to that question I asked a few minutes ago. Who are you willing to die for? And isn't it true that the answer to that question might be more accurately found by answering the question, who am I willing to live for? Because the degree of God's love within us is entirely, entirely, entirely measured by our answer. Would you take your stuff and set it aside and I just invite you to close your eyes and bow your heads. Just invite you to go to reflection with the Lord if you would.
Jesus, that idea that you give to us about dying daily to ourselves for the sake of other people is so incredibly foreign. that advocates so strongly that it's all about you, it's all about me, it's all about what I want, where I'm going, what I'm about, my hopes, my dreams. Here you come and you just flip it all right on its head. And you just say, no, 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 no. Hold on, time out. What does it look like for you as my followers, you ask, to die daily for the sake of everyone around us, for the sake of everyone who we have any contact with whatsoever? And Jesus, we desire to take that challenge, that invitation up in serious fashion. Because we want everything in our lives to reflect you. And so please help us to die daily, starting right now. Starting when we get in the car and drive out of the parking lot and there's stuff Maybe there's tension or maybe there's conflict or maybe there's quite a mess that we're going to walk back into when we're done in here. And Jesus, would you just please help us frame it through the lens of what does it look like for me to die daily right in the midst of this mess? that God, you would show up and that you would be exalted and that you would be glorified and that you would be pleased and that you would be big, God. As we willingly, sacrificially do the thing that you did, help us please Jesus.